0: follow NFL at all
1: no I mean a little bit very loosely but uh I'm mainly a baseball fan oh that's cool that's cool did you play baseball when you were growing up I did but I wasn't any good dude I got beamed in the head twice and then (laughs) I was out of school no joke for like a month because of it and that's when I got into music (laughs) was was that so I, I totally like rejected the notion of of ever playing sports Cause when I was a kid like that, it was just very like black or white thinking. I think most kids are like that. They're just like, I like this and I don't like this. No, yeah,
0: chicken nuggets are not chicken nuggets. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. I got you. Um,
1: why? What's going on?
0: Oh, uh, nothing. I was I was just seeing something and uh, Patrick Mahomes he did the Air Jordan in for a touchdown and got slammed into the end zone. Oh, shit. But they're calling it now, Air Mahomes. And anyways, it it just looks cool. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It was just from this past weekend. But yeah, that was going to be my check for you. That was just a subject to talk about.
1: Today, we have Lucas White. (laughs) Oh, man. Lucas, thank you so much for joining me, bud. I appreciate it. Man, thank you, Taylor. Talk to me a little bit about your background. So you're a musician.
0: Yes, first and foremost, when I wake up and when I go to bed. Yes. Yes.
1: And then every other time in between that, for the most part,
0: <laughs> for the most part. yep.
1: Um, but you also were in Washington DC
0: for how long? Um, I've been in, I, my first job there was 2015. So I've been going there since 2015 and I lived there full time starting in 2019. And so, uh, I just moved out of there and back to Nashville's, uh, at the top of October. And, uh. Yeah, man, that, that's that been, it's been a wild ride for the last, I guess, uh, that would be um, six years. What did you DC. do while you were there? Um, Well, first off, uh, you can't go to the Capitol and not just love everything that's there, you know? You know, I think, I think stepping back a little bit more, I mean, and I was a musician doing, doing the thing, you know? Yeah, living in Nashville before. Yeah, going to college in Middle Tennessee State University and, um, I had had the unique opportunity to, to, to be with some great musicians growing up. Um, everybody, pretty much anybody that I was hanging around was way better than me. Um, and I would go around strutting my stuff, you know, away from those circles. But, you know, I always had a really sincere respect for the, the people who let me into their circles, um, fostered my, you know, my musicianship. Um, but, I, you know, I'm not a creator, you know, I'm not a, as far as like song or lyrics wise, you know, I, I just, I'm not, my brain's not geared that way. So, uh, you know, I had a chance to work a little bit with the Zac Brown band who, you know, they write their own stuff. They have their own intellectual property. Um, and when you look at it and you take off your musician hat for a second, you know, they create their own property, um, their own product, their own product. Um, and it works like a, somewhat like a stock, you know, it has a value and culture, has a value um a minimum value from a from a uh, federal standpoint. It has a minimum value of which is unique, you know, in a capitalist system. Normally you have a, a supply and demand that, you know, determines value. Um you know, if you're if if you're a conservative, you kind of are like, well the government's setting the price here. So that's kind of, you know, kind of against the conservative narrative point. But anyways, moving back that it was concerned it was concerning to me, you know, how does a musician make money? You know, how does how do my friends that I'm around, how how do we make money? We've all been so idealistic that, you know, all we've done is learn how to rip on an instrument playing bluegrass that we didn't understand anything else, the business side of it. Yeah, and I'm lucky, you know, I grew up I grew up with a family, you know, they had their own family business and so, you know, at a dinner table, you know, talking about uh, operations, things that have to be done tomorrow. Um, you know, being very administratively, um, uh, you know, ready to take on the next day and build something. Uh, I was lucky to be around that and none of that had anything to do with music.
1: Business savvy, like actual business savvy people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that was what we discussed around their dinner table. So anyways, moving forward, you know, I'm in college. I, uh, Had the chance to, you know, uh, go to their music business um, uh, college that they have there. And at the time, you know, this is back in 2013. You know, this is before any of the changes that we had today. And, you know, I I would go there and I would say, you know, how does somebody get paid from Spotify or Pandora or something like that? Because, you know, I just got off, off the road hanging out with Zach and them, and they were like, you know, they're not making their revenue streams like they're used to, which is really interesting. You know, when you have a band that's, you know, got a, um, tour production of 13 tour buses and 15 semis. Yeah. But they're not, they're no longer going to be making their kind of revenue that they're used to. So when you look at it from a business standpoint, that's interesting. That's super interesting. Um, now I don't have any details of, of, you know, what they did to recoup all of that investment, you know, in a project like uncaged and stuff like that. But, what I can say is, you know, that was definitely a concern because it was a, it was different for them. Um, when I say them, you know, management, label, and the band themselves, it was different mm-hmm. for them to navigate. Um, they're lucky, you know, they already were, you know, a, a established band. Yeah. You know, everybody that was in college when and my streaming friends, really took hold. Yeah, all of our peers who are a little bit younger, you know, we're we're trying to get into a playlist that's you know saturated with eighty songs in a playlist. And, you know, you've got about 100,000 playlists out there just to get through, you know, those 80 songs. You know, that's oversaturation is a hard new thing to navigate, you know. Um, so I was in D.C. I was really concerned about how do my friends make, make um, money. And so I started off as an intern. And uh, my first internship was with a congressman from East Tennessee who was a co-sponsor of a bill. Uh, called the uh, Songwriters' Equity Act. And this was 2015, so um, 2015 spring semester, I dropped out of college. I was living in Antioch, Tennessee, and I did as many odd jobs as I could. Nobody in my family could understand why I was about to pivot away from music and go take an internship in DC. And still today are like, people today are like, oh, you're a musician, but you did policy. Uh, you know, that's a weird intro, kind of like what you just did, you yeah. know, um, you know, I'm, I'm a musician when I wake up and when I go to bed, but you know, kind of in between in the, in, in, in the day, I'm also an administrator.
1: you you have a great business mind.
0: Yeah. And, and I, well, thank you. And I, but I think it's more of just, um, uh, for one thing, our generation gets to determine what the solution is digitally moving forward in human history. So first off, Interesting. that's yeah. one thing to think about after we've determined, like when I say our generation, like, you know, there's judges involved in this. There, there are calls to action from songwriters, you know, to Congress that are like, Hey, you know, you know, this isn't working out this way, you know, this way. Kind of like how we have, um, streaming services now by law, they're required to pay. There were those call to actions to Congress. And back to the 2015, the Songwriters Equity Act. Those were things that you know nobody could understand. For me, it just naturally interested. It was an interest to me. Um, like, yeah, I could do the gig. I could I could go and learn any kind of song I needed to learn to play the Broadway stuff, to play covers. Um, I could sit with you know a band that was like the Zac Brown Band, who were writing their own stuff, and you know fill in all the gaps that were needed to be filled in there. I'm not a creator, though. My value is, my added value is being able to show up and do the gig, do it well. And I do have an administrative sense now. And uh, back then, I didn't realize that, though. You know, I, I just realized it was a natural curiosity. So I had a friend who was a uh, who's a banjo player, and that's how I know him. And he was an a- uh, uh, Apache helicopter fighter. And uh, Oh, shit. Uh, the Pentagon had him uh, go to get his business, uh, his MBA. Well, after his MBA, they realized he was a smart dude, so he came back to the uh, to DC, and he ended up doing uh, liaison work for the Army. Um, so he interfaced between the Army and Congress. So he calls me <laughs> sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas of 2014. He calls him and he says, "Hey, man." What you doing? And I was like, man, I'm doing the college thing. And you know, he goes, you looking for internships yet? And I said, no. He says, well, you should really think about taking a summer internship. I can get you a summer internship here in Congress. And he started it off like that. And at first, I was like, no. Part of me was so musician, it was almost anarchist musician. Yeah, I, g- I totally know what you mean. You know what I mean? And I was I was very much... I was very much, fuck the man. Yeah. You know, that part of my life, like college for me, it was very hard for me that, for example, that a bunch of teachers could have a different, they called it pedagogy. So uh, they didn't have to follow like a certain standard of like rules and bases. They can make up their own rules and bases uh, based off of their syllabus. And the school would back up their pedagogy, for example. Can you give an example? Um. Uh, you're tardy three times so you're failed for the semester whereas another whereas another uh, professor doesn't give a shit about you being tardy Yeah, just worries about are, is the job done and have you comprehended it yeah right but you're getting a total infraction for three tardies just because of the nature of the world and, the, and, and then all of a sudden you've paid tuition <laughs> you've now got to fail now you've got to retake it and pay tuition again and hopefully get a different teacher with a different pedagogy, you know. But anyways, that inconsistency always bothered me. Uh, I don't know why I was always like, screw the man. That just really bothered me in college. So at that time when he was like, come and do an internship, I was like, why would I do that? You know, why would I be a part of that? You know, I don't even really want to be here in college. But, in, but I am. Yeah. I want to be out playing music and I want to be, you know, a part of that world and uh you know and and of course you know the way my family thinks they're always like you know you needed a backup plan you needed this that or another so you know lay your groundwork which is you know i guess when you're 18 years out of a 40-year career that's not really that much time you know 50-year career to lay some groundwork but my point of what i'm trying to say is uh Nobody understood why I was pivoting away from Nashville and about to go take a summer-long internship in Washington, D.C. It just – I had so much trouble from my family understanding it, which is part of the reason why I dropped out of college. They didn't even know I did. I told them I was going to college, but I was just taking any job I could take, you know, gig-wise. Because it was going to cost a lot to go live in Washington, D.C. for the summer. And I'm lucky that my friend who I'm talking about, I got to live with him for free for that summer but to go out and in, to go out and network and just be a part of you know what DC has to offer especially pre-covid it it was it it was a world within its own what was it like well for one thing uh and it's come back in DC uh i think one of the coolest things that that was there was like going to museums and being able to talk to like academics and like major intellects on on this on like on a subject of a stone or a bone or uh a part a of throne. history yeah i mean any of it man i mean it was it, i thought it was so cool like how there was just so much intellect in one spot and apparently and I, I, this is just from word of mouth it's probably true i don't know but apparently it's the wealthiest city in the in the world um <laughs>
1: Ugh, that makes me kind of sick honestly
0: and you see it all the way, you see it everywhere, um, but you kind of don't at the same time. It's weird. It's a really unique. It's it's not like it's not like when you go to like some bougie Florida city or yeah. some bougie like that's California just balling city. out of control. Just balling out, man. You know, it's not like that. Um, so, anyways, and you know, I think I think one of the things that also was great about that that time was you know in twenty thirteen or twenty fifteen. This was pre, and I don't want to say it like like at this because like he was the issue, but this was pre pre-Trump. Trump. Yeah, yeah, I understand what you mean. And um, you know, there was some bipartisanship on things that just made sense. Um, an example would be, um, you know, energy. You know, right now everybody's trying to. Uh, essentially appeal to their special interests, whether you're green or whether you're oil, right? Back then they could come up with compromises. Uh it seemed like after twenty twenty we've lost a lot of that. But that's getting into something totally different. I think another thing that I miss about DC about that time too was uh that was right before they started doing the major overhaul on the metro line. And uh is that the subway there? This, that's their subway, subway there. And man, that you know, that was my cheap way to get out. And uh, see, I was at the very last uh, stop in Franconia, so I would I would go to work. I'd be one of the first people at work, um, and then I get out of Congress. I get out of the halls of Congress, and I start doing the networking thing in the evening. And I'd be the very last cart going back home, and I'd always fall asleep there uh, at the Franconia Springfield stop. And, you know, conductor many times would have to come over there and tap me on the shoulder and say, we're done for the night. Is this your stop? And I'd be like, yes. And so I always knew they weren't going to go past. They weren't going to go forward. That was the stop, man. Yeah, so you could sleep. I could sleep, man. That was my moment to sleep. And uh, uh, But then recently, you know, with COVID restrictions and everything else, uh, the construction there, man, is so hard to get around DC too. You know, it's just so tough right now. Uh, it's getting better. And it, as I'm sure after improvements, it will be a lot more efficient, but you know, if you live outside of town to come in for work, which many of the people do, that's tough, man. That's, that's way different nowadays. Um, but yeah, man. So I, I did that for a while, got out of, got out of, you know, um, Really, in 2019, I really got out of music and really focused hard hardcore on on, um, working through policy. And... uh,
1: What kind of policy?
0: You know, I said I started out as an intern. So uh, you really work on anything. Um, Before I was able to work on copyright policy, in all fairness, I had to do a bunch of everything. So I worked on constituent services, which, you know, let's say, Taylor, you called your congressman and you needed help navigating um, um, the united states embassy or you needed help uh, navigating um, uh, the veterans department veteran affairs department or you needed help navigating uh, where to vote or where to uh, go get emergency services uh you know you pick up a phone and somebody's throwing something at you um i spent a lot of time corresponding with constituents that was a unique experience you're I, you're in sales this is a lot like sales this is a lot like customer service especially with politics you somebody calls in and they're so inflamed passionately about whatever they just saw on the internet whatever they just saw on, on TV, tv yeah and they call in so irate and mad sometimes you have to sit a boundary and be like and, and say something along the lines of you know excuse me you know i i can't uh you know I, I won't be talked to like that, you know, uh, call another time, you know. Yeah. Uh, thank you, and then click, you know, get out, get off of it quickly. I think I learned a lot, too, you know, because I was in my bubble of music. You know, everything was happy, everything was go, you know, lucky. You know, this very, you know, progressive mindset All with all the people I'm around. The other thing that you realize about the type of musicians I was around, um, you know, a lot of times they had a really... Cushion, you know, cushiony family, you know that that allowed them to you know go to a great school to learn more about music on their instrument or whatever. Um, uh, going back over there to going back over there with with um in DC, I you know I I absolutely absolutely did not want to make sure or did not want to um. Uh, move faster than I should have to learn the processes, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh,
1: you were pacing yourself to make sure you could actually learn. That way, if you got put in a better position, you could actually do your job.
0: Yeah, but you don't really realize you're doing that. But, you know, I mean, when you're in the moment of of helping out somebody, right, um, you don't realize that that's teaching you something that you're going to end up using two years down the road in that sitting of politics and such. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got to, you got to stay very focused on that. You're always learning. You're always adapting. Um, and hell, you know, uh, that's the other thing too. I might've talked to this person at a fundraiser, an event or on the phone. And then all of a sudden, two years later, that person expects for you to know them. Yeah. And they take it so personally, personal. Yeah. So you learn a little bit in customer Especially service, if they're
1: donating money.
0: Yes, but specifically for me, specifically for me, I I wasn't getting their vote. Yeah, I was hired. I was hired in a federal standpoint by for to work for the state. So I could understand being raised by my grandparents, just the old school nature of that. If you if you if I put you in the office, you work for me from a voter standpoint. Yeah, that's how it should be, and that's how it should be, and so you kind of do have to take a little shit because they are your boss yeah right anyways but you don't realize how you're gonna learn how much that's gonna pave the way that you learn something Um, then I got to work on you know really unique uh, communication stuff when when Trump got in the office man uh, you know Republicans had power Republicans still didn't really know what they were gonna do Paul Ryan was you know Paul Ryan they call them rhinos a Republican in name only yeah Uh, the Mitt Romney's. Yeah, yeah. man. He, I mean, they got, they got a lot of, well, Mitt Romney wasn't there yet, but you know, Paul Ryan got a lot of hell. You know, he was a speaker of the house at the time. Uh, that was a very interesting time to be there. You know, this was, this was when, you know, the party should have been united, but they couldn't get themselves together. Then two years went around and then all of a sudden Democrats had power. And then in the house, Senate had uh, the Republicans. So now you've got a split system where this is the beauty of it. The Democrats could could introduce something in the House, but as soon as it got over to the to to the Senate, then the House and all those those members of Congress could then go back to their districts and say, Republicans killed that good policy when that when their piece of policy would have a good headline on it, but then would have, all these other agenda items that had nothing to do with, uh, let's say, uh, music, they would also want to, uh, fund, uh, the energy department. They would also want to fund things like this, that, That's this, the, you know, the
1: pork barrels that they talk about,
0: right? Yeah. yeah. But, but it, but, but it becomes more of a communications thing than it does anything. Right. If you're in that time, right before, right before 2020, this is 2018 to 2020, Democrats send send a piece of bill over over to the Senate, and it says you know um, a pro choice bill, and you know everybody knows that Republicans aren't going to be you know pro choice. But the point of what I'm trying to say is, you know they go over, and it's not just about pro choice. They've got all these other things on it, but of course they're they're going to milk, they're going to they're mil- masking it, they're milking yeah. that, and and they use that as a communication tactic. It goes both ways, but. It was definitely heavily heavily used, and that's why it was really hard to see from eight, 2018 to now. It's really hard to see anything coming from the Democrats House of Representatives that was actually positive. You know, we don't see we don't see you know specifically you and me, young men in America. It's hard for us to have a savings. You know, uh, I probably have a little bit more vices than you. Um, you know, with all the different things that I go around and do uh, in music. Well, I guess what I mean more by that is just by late night shenanigans, hanging out, playing music and going out to eat, going out to eat and chilling with buddies, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting there in your seller's job a little bit more disciplined than I am is my point. Yeah. And, um, and even in politics, it's like that, you know, you're at, you're at a meeting and then you're networking and you've had $175 worth of beers by the end of the night, you know, uh, it's just hard, you know, in that sense. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say there is when when you and I make a decision to um, you know uh, vote like anybody else, they want it to help them, you, you know yourself. But yeah. they're not really thinking about
1: the well, group, you know what I mean. It's interesting you say that because I I feel like. In America, in the modern politics, like as much as Democrats or Republicans, whoever, they they talk about voting. And of course, Republicans are, uh, you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, that whole thing. And then Democrats are like, well, we got to help people. We got to help people. We got to help people. I think that the idea of helping people from... A position in politics. I'm not, I'm not being clear on this yet. I'm going to see if I can I can have a, a clear thought on this. I'm going to try and tie it together. But it's just as equally as selfish to me when you're always talking about different different kinds of people and you're like, this is who we, we've helped. You know what I mean? I don't know if that makes sense. I feel like it's equally as selfish in some ways. When you're trying to get the feel-good feeling and be like, well, look at me. Look at all of these people that I've helped.
0: Well, you know, that was kind of my problem uh, growing up a little bit. I grew up going to a Catholic school. And I'm not, I mean, my Catholic school was small. If anybody heard from this, they it, you know—they would know immediately who I was talking about. My point is, is uh, things that were in the Catholic church, families and stuff, they wanted you to know how philanthropic they were. Yeah.
1: How much they're helping.
0: Yeah, man. And that to me was like... Kiss the ring. Yeah. It was very... Uh, the piety of it yeah was was what was really hard for me the attitude of it i'm holier than thou you know which is kind of the same thing in politics man you know rules for thee not for me yeah you know um the fact that the district you know you can go and have weed delivered to you but most of the south and those members of congress won't vote to you know pass you know cannabis laws but they'll do it for themselves when they're working in in Congress. Yeah. I and mean, it's just, it's just. You know, Insider trading. It's, it's something similar to that. Yeah. You know, uh, what does George Carlisle say? The comedian, he says, you know, uh, there's a club and we're not a part of it. George Carlin. Carlin. Yeah. Yes. He says, he says, there's a big club and you ain't in it and you ain't in it. Yeah. Yes, man. There's a big club and you ain't in it. And that's man. That, that just rings so true, dude. That just rings so true. Uh, it just does man I mean you know working with stakeholders you know let's just talk about the music business for example music business is very uh, leans liberal let's go with that way I haven't noticed Um, the last piece of legislation that was passed was passed by a Republican House Republican Senate and a Republican President the Democrats just had control of everything. It didn't pass a single thing for any of those songwriters, but people and I'm just going to call it out. Um, uh, you've got labels, you know. When I say stakeholders, or you got publishers, and you know, they'll, they'll go give you know these huge donations, or these songwriters, you know, will go give these huge political donations, and then and they you know sometimes it's for social, social uh, justice. But, like, for example, Jason Mraz, you know, I've got to work with him on the, on, on, United, on the Capitol Hill. Like, work right alongside him. You know, he and I lean very differently on how to approach uh, how, w- results. That's what I'm more approaching, is results. And for me, you know, he puts his bang in all of, uh, you know, one side of, of the party. or uh, One side of the aisle. And you know, a lot of times they demonize the Republicans as being this one party of of bigotry or this that or another. I think that's on both sides for sure. Point of what I'm trying to say is, the only party that's done anything in recent time to like to help the underlying um, f- finances fiduciary state of of musicians has been Republicans.
1: Yeah, well, and
0: and that's what's been so interesting as like a thought experiment. It's like, man, why are you why are you demonizing the people who are literally the only people who are guaranteeing that you're making money? Trying
1: trying to help artists. Well, it's it's like I know Kid Rock at one point. People people were laughing at him and making fun of Trump and everything, but he went and he worked with Trump to kind of pass some kind of copyright law. Correct.
0: Um. You know, he probably got a lot of attention for it. No, I mean, he 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 was he was just in the ear of, of the president a lot. You know, uh, I don't really know exactly what all was said. I can say from firsthand experience that it was more of uh, the National Music Publishers Association, um, Recording Industry Association of America. Um, I'm gonna toot my own horn here. I was the only musician in any working on. The Hill getting a paycheck from taxpayers that was consulted almost nearly in every everything that had to do with the Music Modernization Act going through committee all the way to the president. So what's changed in recent years and what are they still trying to change? That's a great question. So I mentioned the Songwriters' Equity Act earlier. That was when I went into in 2015. That ended up by 2018. That policy evolved in what was called the Music Modernization Act. And what that did is essentially said, okay, now streaming is now classified federally very similar to a mechanical license, which is if I go and buy a CD, you know, now I owe somebody nine cents, you know, per song on that CD, for example. You know, that's a federal standard right there, you know, um, all the way from its definition to its residual payout, okay? uh there was nothing like that for streaming right so when i say you and i our generation gets to sit the gets digitally we get to sit the the uh, rules moving forward um from napster to where we are today you know tw- that's only 20 years 21 years man that's not that long in human history there just wasn't anything, and Congress doesn't move fast enough to make all of a sudden a new definition out of thin air, which is essentially what Spotify is, just listening to music out of especially thin air. Especially
1: technology, especially with these boomers. I mean, I don't even say that as an as an insult or to be funny, but they're an older generation. They're
0: just... Man, I'm telling you this too, and everybody, and everybody who was a staffer in D.C., if you listen to this, if you catch wind of this, you'll know exactly what I mean. Did your boss know how to do anything in 2020 without your help? No, because they had they didn't know how to work their computers. They didn't know how to work their phones, but they couldn't get in contact with all of a sudden their staffers that they were relying heavily on. And then all of a sudden they wanted to talk to Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos about data collection, but they don't even know how to run their own computer. is It's like the most frustrating thing. And that's not an insult at all. That's just a fact. You have boomers in there that really had no idea yeah. of what this was. For example, the Music Modernization Act, there's a, and you can look this up real quick. There is a name in front of it called Warren Hatch, Senator Warren Hatch. He was in favor of Napster. He went against Metallica and said what was going on with, with Metallica's music was good for Metallica. But then all of a sudden, right before he retires, this goes back to the communication thing, he ends up, because it goes to the Senate, before it goes to the President, it goes to the Senate. So, yeah. so it was called the Music Modernization Act. Then it goes to the Senate. He they, It goes through committee in the um, Intellectual Property Subcommittee, goes to the Judiciary Committee. He sits on the Judiciary Committee, and he makes a motion to call it the Warren Hatch uh, Music Modernization Act, and that changes his legacy now for the 20 years and now for human history of like all of a sudden he was the messiah of 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 Artist. songwriters and yeah. artists, you know, digital standards. Well, you know, tw- you know, let's just say, okay, you live and you learn. Okay, maybe he did live and you learn. But we're talking about a guy who was 80-something years old when this policy was ran through. He had no clue how to run a damn computer. That's just the reality of what it was. And it was just Congress. Really kissing his butt, and and then he gets he's passed on. May he rest in peace. May all of his staffers, who, if they ever hear this, you know, know that I mean this with respect. It was literally just a legacy play. It just was. They yeah. had no they a had, layup. It was a layup. It literally was. And that's not that's the kind of stuff that I got to do and see behind the scenes on. You know, um, people that were really involved were were NSAI, NMPA, RIAA. Um, you had uh, the copyright office specifically. I remember one time when I was working for Senator Blackburn, I called the copyright office to have a meeting with me of like, what could we be doing better from a congressional standpoint? What do you need for uh, from us to modernize? Well, that just gave you know my boss the senator all these new key p- talking points to say, hey, when we're budgeting, here's some things that we can be thinking about if she so chooses to bring that stuff up, right? Um, and then the copyright office. They never get called into a senator's office. So they felt like they were so loved. The fact that I gave them an hour of time for, you know, a congressional session. It's just kind of cool, man. It's kind of unique, you know. Um, Well, kind of circling
1: back around um, to my my question, you kind of answered what has been changing the past couple of years. What do you think the future holds in copyright policy uh, and for musicians and artists, creative types in regards to any kind of laws protecting them.
0: Yeah. I think the next thing is a good, is a good template for um, international trade, right? For example, we have the last major trade deal was United States, um, It was a United States, Canada, and Mexico trade deal that Trump did. Thing is, it missed a lot in there. Is that NAFTA? It it was the redrafting of NAFTA, essentially. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, and it missed a little bit when it has to do with digital rights. You know, like making sure that, um, for example, making sure that neighboring rights, which is like a... Uh, a way that you can tell a uh, publishing company in another country, hey, give us our money, right? There there's like a little bite to the bark. Um I think in the future policy-wise, there'll be there needs to be a better template on secondary liability, which is essentially tailor if your stuff is being played in India, right? You could tell YouTube that there's copyright infringement there. But what keeps somebody from doing it again if they're not going to get fined? Yeah, right. That's like if I go and rob a a uh, um, a store here, you know, um, but nobody stops me. Kind of like what we're seeing nowadays, like in California, like in California, yeah, which is weird. But that's what we have happening to musicians right now across across the na- across the world. Yeah, and it's a matter of of having good commerce and good and and and, you know that's all wielded from the executive office it's united states trade representatives that go to other countries and say hey this is what the president would like to focus on because this is a trade deal right so anyways i think that's important now what does that mean i think that well domestically let's talk about domestically here in america real quick you now through the Copyright Office, whether you are a digital artist, an artist of any kind, you now have means of being able to protect your creation. You just go to copyrightoffice.gov. You t- you, you pick what kind of artist you are, and you go through the whole process of, of uploading your stuff to the Library of Congress. As you say, it's I've, yours. I've
1: done that before.
0: And... Um, But now it's all modernized you know like for example if you were like a digital illustrator there was no way for you to copyright your stuff like appropriately and file it appropriately now there is um there's things like that you know that i think that have made it a lot more efficient for you know artists in general to be able to retain their you know uh retain their income you know some other pieces of policy that I've worked on was called the AMFM Act. I was uh, I was one of the original authors of that. Um, that's essentially I don't know if anybody knows this, but essentially, AMFM radio doesn't pay publishers. They pay the labels, but they don't pay the publishers. So songwriters get the the crappy end of this deal. The AMFM Act would would nullify that exemption, and. Uh, you know, I think that will happen in the future. But you know what's sad, and I want to point this out again. <laughs> that was introduced at the end of 2019. was introduced again in this next Congress, in, in this past Congress. This past Congress, the one that we're sitting in right now, Taylor, is fully Democrat. They could pass it like that and help songwriters. All what, it would take is leadership saying we want, to, we want to push this through.
1: Is the reasoning behind it not being passed the smokescreen of, like you were talking about earlier, where it's like, oh, this is a, a pro-choice bill, but here we have this, this, and this also. Well, I don't know why they baked wou- in.
0: Well, let me just say this: I don't know why they wouldn't want to take a a win away from the Republicans. Let's look at it from a hasty standpoint. Why would you give? Why would you give? You know, your adversary politically. Why would you give your adversary that a win victory. when they? Yeah. You could have just had an easy victory all the way around. That's my rebuttal to your question. Um, why, why, why would you not go ahead and do it? Another piece of policy that I would like to mention. Uh, the HITS Act. What we're doing right now, Taylor, and specifically here in Nashville, the HITS Act is going through the Ways and Means Committee, which is the Tax Committee. Okay. What it essentially states in short is if you have a in-home studio, you can have up to $150,000 written off on your taxes at the, at the end of each year. Dude, that's immediate return back to back to creators. You, Taylor. And right now you have a Democrat at the House, Democrat Senate and a Democrat in the White House, and it, and that's all could have already happened within the last two years, man. So I mean, you know, uh, I'm I'm a I'm a pro results kind of guy. You know, uh, I don't understand why they wouldn't bring those results to the table and take that victory. Um, it seems like a no-brainer to me, especially since, you know, like I was saying, you know, you have everybody from Katy Perry you know, to Madonna, to all those publishing companies that just gave you all of their money for the last, like, four years to beat Trump and all these other woke agendas, and you gave nothing back to them. My call to action is get something done for your culture. For, you know, everything from rap to dang, you know, jazz is American culture, man. It matters. Dude,
1: okay, this is is great. I, I agree with you. But here's here's the thing about about America. Our greatest export is our culture,
0: without a doubt, ma'am.
1: You know what I mean? It's rock and roll, it's blue jeans, Coca-Cola. All of those things are uniquely American.
0: Without a doubt.
1: And everywhere else around the world, they love our culture.
0: Without they a doubt. might
1: hate us, but they love our culture.
0: Which is strange, but yeah.
1: Yeah. We are strange. Also George Carlin has said, uh If you're born into this world, you're born into the freak show. If you're born into America, you got a front row seat. Mm -hmm. I might be paraphrasing that, but it's something along those lines.
0: I don't remember that. That's pretty great. I like that.
1: Yeah, but um, what we really have to offer is the fact we created blues. We created jazz. We created country music. We created rock and roll. All of those things – stem from our culture. And it's because we have the first amendment, the freedom of speech to be able to say whatever we want at least. And we still have that, but there's this weird Rocky ground that we're kind of in now. Yeah. You know, where we're feeling it out. Well, what does the first amendment really mean? Does it mean absolute speech or does it mean speech? I don't like that. I can deem dangerous. And that's kind of like the back and forth that's happening.
0: I don't know. I mean, I feel like Jimmy Iovine and Dr. Dre and, and NWA all, already all figured this out. You know, Jimmy Iovine, you know, was and is a white dude who, uh, you know, was. Put, is it a great administrator. Uh, you know, let me just say real quick, if there's anybody I would like to be in, in my life, it would be Jimmy Iovine. Let me just say that right now. And he was, and he said this on the documentary. I think it was on HBO. He was like, "Uh, you know, when the when the um, uh, NWA, what was that? Fuck the police." Yep. Yeah. You know, he was very big on making that. Hey, we're protecting the first First Amendment here. Yeah. You know, that's what we're gonna win on any of these cases. And and, and you know, when I was going through music business, you know, history and school, because uh, I come from bluegrass, so that culture of of pop and rap i actually learned from an academic standpoint and, and which i'm glad i did cuz you know uh i mean really rap rap sampling um all the way to the lyrics you know my two favorite artists are totally two different tony Rice and j cole yeah you know that is radically different radically different and i don't care what anybody says that is a mix that I will have on you know on my phone downloaded anytime man it just I will but like um, you know I mean that's kind of my point of what I'm trying to say is you know it, it, it is it's it's, it's it's a unique conglomeration of, of why are we not supporting all of that you know why not why not give it an easy win you know so that's what I would like to see happen in the future. It could have happened already. It's a missed opportunity. We're going into another congressional session. We've got new support. Got some of the same old, uh, some of your old same champions from the Republican Party who are still there, who will still work on it before twenty twenty four. We'll see what happens, ma'am. Um, you know, I really think that the the main thing that you know we all have to we all have to keep in mind. That your version of quality is your version of quality. So, somebody out there. Is going to want to receive your quality product. Another analogy is, you know, every pot uh, has a lid, you know, or every lid fits a pot. You know, there's a lid for every, you know, pot. Same situation, and I think that uh, you know nobody should be discouraged to create because they're not going to get paid.
1: Well, what should artists do to protect themselves? You mentioned the (laughs) copyright.gov thing. What? else can they do besides that
0: well i think that's the first place to start off from a creative standpoint um and there's a lot of resources from there let me just speak on what i know music wise you need to get your pro you just ask cat bmi or CSAC. c-sac you have to be invited in um um Mechanical Licensing Collective. Sign up for that. Sign up. What's for.
1: Mechanical Licensing Collective?
0: So the Mechanical Licensing Collective is how you now get paid from digital service providers, which is the Music Modernization Act, which I helped craft. Which is what was. Is passed. this a,
1: a government thing? Or it is. is it, okay. It is.
0: It is a government thing. But uh, is
1: there a government website for that that you have to sign up me- for?
0: Mechanical Licensing Collective org. Okay. Yep. Um, you have to sign up for it and that's how you get your money from pandora you know youtube youtube spotify, spotify apple music apple music yeah all your streaming platforms uh xfinity music you know um deezer you know any of those things alexa that's how you're now getting paid from those things uh, for music those would be your places to start oh uh, sound exchange make sure you do that because that's your sirius xm um, that's some of your um, like satellite radio in the sense that if I'm also like um, listening to a commercial or listening to anything that has something passive, that's how you get. Uh, that's how you get an additional amount of money as a songwriter, not a producer. Um, but yeah, so uh, those would be the things. I'm, those would be the the four things that I would do immediately. Co- recap, PRO, Copyright Office. Uh, Mechanical Licensing Collective, Sound Exchange. Get signed up for those. Start right there. Uh, start with your PRO. Okay. Yeah. Start with your PRO because you're going to need that number through almost for everything. everything after yeah. that. So start with your pre- PRO. And that's where I would say for everybody to start. Um, I, start with your PRO or the Copyright Office. Just start with one of those two and go from there. Um, that would be my suggestion and then uh, just keep working on your your version of quality you know do not be discouraged you know i uh, don't go out uh and play music in late at night always expecting to get paid i do it because i love it you know
1: it's always nice when you get paid and it's always nice when you get a free meal
0: <laughs> facts facts major facts i uh, tell everybody i used to uh yeah, you don't you don't eat without working so my version of working was playing somebody a tune real quick and then, you know, going and getting a plate real get, quick. Getting
1: a burger real quick. Yeah. Well, Lucas, I appreciate you coming on today. I definitely want to have you back on again. Yeah, I man. know you're tight on time. Um, do you have any gigs coming up in the coming weeks?
0: So uh, tonight I'm actually playing at the Station Inn. Um, so by the time this goes out, nobody will nobody will know yeah. that. Uh, January uh, 22nd, I'm playing at Dogwood um with my group uh, march 3rd
1: what's the name of your group
0: off uh off the rails uh, march 3rd or off the rails is playing in um salem opening for billy strings oh badass uh, dude congratulations yeah that's gonna be great and then the next day we're we're opening for the sam bush band um so uh luckily we're going on before them not after them you know uh we're just gonna warm everybody up get everybody a little wet if you will and uh liquored up but that's what i got going on and uh probably just keep learning how to make money off of this stuff digitally
1: where can people find you
0: man find me on instagram it's probably my favorite spot to meet people and be on lucas underscore white um i'm about to you know kind of shut down my facebook so uh and i don't really use twitter not because of anything recently going on and i just find it confusing yeah
1: i've never been good at. but totally. i do have
0: to say this Shout out to their podcast spot, though. That is a cool feature on, on Twitter. The what fact- is
1: it? I, I've never heard of this before.
0: Oh, man. Well,
1: let, me, let me tell you. I'm living under a rock, dude.
0: Real quick, anybody, little pitch for Taylor and a little pitch for Twitter. At the bottom of Twitter, you have a, in the middle, you have a little tab. It looks like a little microphone. Go right to it, and it's a podcast tab, and you can go find any kind of podcast you want on almost any subject live and in that moment. It's a really cool way for creators and thought leaders, um, uh, social uh, commentators to really get their outreach real time with their guest and their audience. So I think that's a cool thing that Twitter's done that's a little bit different from Facebook Live and Twitch and things like that. I just think it's their differentiator, you know.
1: Awesome. Well, Lucas, thank you so much for coming on, bud. Thanks, man. Okay, see you next week. Keep on dreaming.